morning, so we're going to finish Romans 8, uh, hopefully. Um, and uh, I want you to, as we kind of enter you know, into this Christmas season, is it easy, and we ask our kids to sign up for like, you know, hey, what do you guys want? You know, what kind of gifts would you like for Christmas? Um, and then the, my kids ask me that question, what do you want, Dad? How many of you, is it easy to come up with a list of like things that you'd like? If I said, hey, what, what would you like for Christmas? How many of you guys are know, like, I got a couple ideas. What's that? <laughs> now, how many of you are like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What's that? Most guys, I Or like, I have no idea. Um, except Troy, he put his hand up. He knows. see all my ideas. <laughs> so you got ideas you're just like whether they'll they'll be they'll come true or not um so i just so i just settle how many of you would rather tell you have know, somebody what to get you for christmas or how many of you would like to be surprised surprise all right so, if you like to be surprised, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are like, I've been burned. I've been down that road too many times. So I'm just going to tell you what I want, and then no. <laughs> I buy it for my wife, and she wraps it and gives it to me. So there you go. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll buy something, you know, on sale a couple weeks before, and Sarah's like, "That'll be your Christmas gift." I'm like, "Okay, well, that's. Can I use it now? Do I have to wait?" So, so that works. So. All right, uh, we'll, we'll actually uh, come back to this idea because, you know, uh, we'll find out, right, that when we pray, uh, we, we come to God that sometimes we know, uh, Lord, what to pray, but then sometimes uh, God tells us, you know, what we need to pray. Or, and even if we don't know, we're, we're fortunate that we have a God that can intervene on our behalf. Um, so last week, we kind of, kind of finished up our second part of, of Romans chapter 8. And, uh, you know, looking at what Paul was saying, that we are uh, spirit-filled, we have this opportunity um, to live by the Spirit. Again, it's a choice to live by the Spirit. Um, with that comes this adoption uh, by a Heavenly Father that we can come to Him as Abba, Father, you know, with this, this uh, tender kind of relationship, a not distant or cold relationship. That's what we're offered, plus all of these other things. Or... Uh, we can choose to li- uh, live by the flesh, which comes kind of with that distancing from God. And even with uh, this, this <coughs> reaction and even that choice to live by the flesh, right, is something that creation um, currently experiences. We call it, you know, we talked about the groaning that creation is experiencing, but even that idea that creation groans because it looks forward to our adoption as sons and daughters, meaning like the fulfillment and the redemption of how things ought to be. So when we choose to even live by the flesh, it's like creation is like, what are you doing? Um, Because it's not only experiencing it, but it also groans uh, waiting for that redemption. And that's kind of that's kind of where we're at um, last time. I'll read a few of those verses to kind of kind of finish us off in verse 18. And then we'll start to look at like the end of uh, Paul's uh, discussion um, in Romans chapter 8. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, we read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Again, that contrast is like, you know, we have the choice to live by the Spirit, which has all of these wonderful things, or to live by the flesh. We often choose to live by the flesh you know, and, but all the things and the consequences that come with it. And so why does that happen? Well, we've kind of talked about that as well. So all of creation kind of waits for that adoption. And, uh, you know, as creatures, right, we're, we're not set in that future time, right? That's like what we await for, but we're here in the present. We're here in the now. And so, um, we can only hope for those things to come. And so that's where Paul kind of turns our attention to in verse 24, where Paul says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verses that we're well familiar with, some other verses that precede that, that we'll kind of unpack as we get to those kind of uh, those verses uh, right at the end of that paragraph. So Paul says, for it is in this hope, you know, we have to ask, well, what is that hope? Well, previous, it's that hope of the adoption of the sons for the redemption of our bodies, for that hope, right, we were saved. And so, again, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, that the resurrection is such an integral part of the gospel message. It's not that Jesus died for us and paid the penalty for our sins. Um, just that, right, that is amazing in itself. But we also have this idea of a resurrection and a future time, this eternity, right? And we looked at all of that when we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. But Paul echoes that, um, just as he did to the Corinthians and expanded it more there. But we see again what he's seeing, you know, what he's writing here in Romans chapter 8. And this is a great description of hope, right? He says that, you know, kind of, um, kind of by proxy, right? Hope that is seen is not hope. Like, what does he mean by that? Hope that is, is seen is not hope. Okay, so what is this idea of, of hope? Okay, 
And we do have this kind of like connection between faith and hope, and we'll look at just briefly what that is. Okay. Here. Okay. Okay. Um, and not just looking for it, but also like there's an expectation, right, that, that kind of comes along with that. That's even kind of in within the translation of uh, the Greek term for hope. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, we kind of hear these verses about, you know, what faith looks like, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? So you again, have that idea, right? If it's not seen, it's still something that we hope for. Verse 3, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And again, we have, again, that connection of, like, what's visible and seen, right? But how it was made is by some other proxy, some other um, measure. In this sense, it's a creator, it's God. And so, hope is this unseen expectation, right, that we have and then faith is the confidence um, that we have in those unseen expectations. So, right, the greater faith that we have, the greater measure of um, confidence in what we hope for, what we don't actually see, what we can't experience in our mortal bodies, that those things will come to light. So what are things that, like, we hope for, you know, kind of like in our daily life? Kind of just think like in common terms, you say like, what do we hope for? Less confrontation. Less confrontation. Okay. Ooh, is there something that we need to delve into? Uh, so, it's a broad subject. So broad subject. <laughs> do you experience lots of confrontation? No, we won't. We won't. We won't analyze you. All right. So less confrontation. So what else do we hope for? Hope it'll stop raining. Hope it'll stop raining. Right. We see a weather forecast, and it'll say, it said 20%, but it's raining pretty hard, right? Um, but we have this, like, hope that, you know, the weather forecast comes to light. How much faith we put in that, how much confidence we put in that, you know, is by some other, other measure. What, what other things do we hope for? Safe travels. Safe travels? Okay. Hope your children will become believers. Hope our, our children will become believers. That's a good hope. Um, so, <laughs> I have written that your team might win, man. That's too uh, too carnal, right? Um, <laughs> What's that? <laughs> that people will listen more to their better angels. Okay. Make, uh, making wise decisions, right? And so, you know, there's things that, again, that we hope for. I hope my child will clean his or her room, um, whether it'll happen or not, right? So it's like an, an, an unseen, it hasn't happened yet. It's an expectation that you do have, right? But what comes, what comes along with, with some of those things, right, is that there's a hope and a desire, but we also know that comes with it what? Okay, there's disappointment, right? And I would just say, maybe, maybe there's a degree of uncertainty, and then once it comes to fruition, whether it did rain or not rain, or they cleaned their room or didn't clean their room, right, there is, could be disappointment on the end, right? There's always hope in certain things that, you know, 
our, that our children will be believers, right? There are certain things that we will hold on to the end, but there are others that come in a moment of time, right? That, well, that didn't, that didn't happen. But I want us to kind of have that in our minds because we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But that idea of uncertainty comes along with, um, with hope when we kind of talk about that. So he kind of seems to abandon this, this idea of, of hope and then switches thoughts by saying, well, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then he talks about prayer. So are those two things linked? Yes. Okay, and, and how, is, how is that? Why would you say that? While we sit in hope. And we go to the first appearance verse that you read through. Sorry, I missed where you read through. Yeah, you did. Well, my skip did not yeah, talk about it, but... Yeah. And when we hope, right, we're, we're in the realm of what is yet future, but we are not in that realm, right? We can always, and, and we've talked about this in several times, that like we, we tend to be creatures that are always looking for the next thing and always like has our eyes on that next vacation or next, you know, whatever. That's why like some, some people like when Christmas is over, it's like a disappointment, right? This like build up over a month or maybe two months or three months, I don't, you know, and so then it happens and it ends and it's like, what's next? You're like, I guess New Year's, you know, and then after that, you're like, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, you know, well, I guess we'll just, I guess I'll, I'll work on my resolutions. <laughs> Maybe I'll exercise. I don't know. So, um, but we're not, we're not within that. And so our, our, because we don't see everything, right, we're temporal beings that we're kind of fixed within, like, what we can see, what we can know, what we can, maybe as far as planning in advance for, but that's as far as that we can see or what we can know. And so having that inability is really, is really a weakness in even what we pray for, right? Because we can only pray for the things that we can understand, we can see, and we can even expect for. And so he's kind of kind of linking these things together as he's talking about that. And so, you know, Paul says we are unable to pray as we ought, right? Because we are short-sighted, and so we don't know what to pray for. Um, he, he uses, that, again, that term groanings, right? Um, and so the spirit groans, and, and it was a similar term that he used when the creation groans, um, that word also is translated uh, in like the in the um, the Old Testament, the Greek you know translation of the Old Testament in Exodus two twenty four, where we read, "During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God." And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Right? That's kind of how chapter 2 ends, and then chapter 3 begins is, and Moses was out in the field, you know, tending, you know, in Midian, tending to the, the flock. And so we've got this like, well, who's Moses? And, you know, we, we were introduced to who Moses is, but like, what's, what's going on with Moses and what does he have to do with Israel's groanings, right? Well, Israel's groanings were of like the current situation they were in 
Israel had no idea like how God would intervene and step into, you know, into their situation, bring Moses about and even do the, you know, ten, the signs and wonders in Egypt for them to remember, uh, you know, bring him out into the, the desert, bring him into the promised land and all of the things that they experienced. That wasn't on their radar. It was probably just more like, why do we have to make so many bricks? <laughs> you know, uh, why do we have to, you know, you know, be whipped by these people? But God had such a bigger plan and their groanings were just in a limited space for what they knew and what they understood. Paul kind of uses that same term that we groan in the same way, but the spirit searches our, who, who he says also that the, the, he who searches our hearts, right, is the one who provides the spirit and knows that the mind of God. When we kind of searches the hearts, does that language bring up anything? I don't know if there's a Crawford reference in any of your Bibles, but um, of when when was that when was that kind of phrase used of of God searching someone's heart or knowing someone's heart? Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, and so. When you kind of think about, you know, like, is Israel maybe groaning at another point? Uh, that term wasn't necessarily used, but they were like, we want a king, right? And God's like, I'm your king. And they, we, looked at, we looked at those chapters, I don't know how many, how long ago, but that was one of our chapters we looked at, as, is Israel wanting a king, and Samuel's like, well, hey, this is what's going to happen if you get a king. And then they, they end up uh, selecting Saul as their king because, like, he's a tall, handsome man. Um, but we find like he's got some shortcomings. And then when Samuel goes to, to Jesse's house to anoint a king, how does Jesse respond? That one. What's that? It's like, really that one? Well, before that. Yeah, how did Jesse respond before that? Oh. He, he, he picked one that he thought outwardly. Yeah. Look, like, oh, this, this looks like a king. This yeah. guy's tall, handsome. Yeah. He surely he's going to be a king. Yeah, so we see when they came, verse 6 in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, he looked on Eliab, right, and this is, uh, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, so this is one of Jesse's sons, like, surely it's got to be this guy, right? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the length, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, right? We're thankful, right, that the Lord <laughs> does not look how we look or see the situation that we see because, like, we only know our hearts. We assume sometimes we know what's in other people's hearts because, well, they didn't say hi to me or they reacted in a certain way. So, of course, they're like this when it was like, I had no idea or, you know, I didn't even know you were standing there. I don't, You know, those things, like, we sometimes, like, we think we know people's hearts, but we know we don't, even after many like misassumptions in our lifetime. So we only see those things, but God sees the heart of everyone and even our own hearts. And he knows our hearts well, right? Because we, we know that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And so when we go to pray, we can only pray in a limited capacity. And so Paul says, right, that the Spirit helps us in terms of our prayers, right? So how does he say that he does that in verse 27? Okay. He searches the heart, and then what does he do? 
Okay. Intercedes. What does that what does that what does that term mean to intercede? Put put yourself between Okay. Yeah, and probably even like yeah, more than just putting yourself in between like you know, not even I think maybe that's even a mediator, but going even beyond that. What's that? To go on behalf of someone. To do what? To, to present a case. Okay. Present a... So we're so we're thinking prayer. What is the what is the spirit doing? Appealing for us, right? And even takes like what what we think we know, um, and then speaks on our behalf. And then aligns our prayers. It's almost like kind of interpretation, right? Aligns our prayers in the will of God, right? And so this is, this is what Paul says, right? Because we have the Spirit within us, even the things that we don't know how to pray, right? You know, God may, may even do it um, without our knowing, right? But turning our hearts towards God and helping us yield to what the will of God is, right? There's times that we just, you know, sometimes we deal with situations that we just don't even know how to, like, fathom. Like, whether it's a huge shock to the system, um, like a, a major loss or catastrophe, right? We're just left, like, responding, like, I don't even know how to pray. I, I'm like, I can't even think. I can't even, you know, explain. And it is the Spirit, right, that can intercede on our behalf, on behalf of the Father, right, to align our wills to what the will of God is, to keep kind of moving on. And we see, like, why does he, why, you know, why does that look that way? Because Paul then, you know, say, right, um, you know, we, we kind of say, Jesus' model prayer, right? Well, how, did, how does that start, right? When he kind of was teaching his disciples, like, well, how do we pray, right? He says, our Father who is in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name, right? So, like, your name is holy and to be revered. That's, like, who it is. And then what does he pray for? Pray that your kingdom may come and that your will be done, right? The prayer is, like, that we would yield our desires ultimately to God's desires. And even as we pray that through that process, right, if we thinking what we know, what we want to pray for, that God will change our hearts to align and just say, well, this is what I think I need, but Lord, your will be done. And so that's, that's kind of where, you know, we see that the Spirit, right, walking in the Spirit instead of the flesh can yield ourselves to that case, right? So then, is God's will being done a good thing? That could be the question that you ask, right? If, if the Spirit is interceding according to the will of God, is that a good thing? Well, that's where then Paul takes us in verse 28. He says, and we know that, right? So Paul says this with certainty. Like, we don't hope for this. We don't guess, right? We know that for those who love God, that's us, right? That's good. All things work together for good. Does he say some things? No, all things. I mean, this is a pretty like confident statement. Do you have something well, to say about that? I was thinking last week when Joel was making his comments about psychologists and stuff. You know, it appears to me that many of those folks who have problems can't accept the fact that you're not going to get it your way. You're going to get it God's way. 
yeah. accept that it's God's way, and then say, well, maybe I was maybe I was focused on the wrong thing. Maybe I need to refocus. Because as Christians, we accept that. We accept, okay, that didn't happen the way we thought. We wanted it to happen. So it's happened a different way. Now maybe we should try to understand why it happened that way rather than just going around beating our chest and complaining about the way it happened. <clears throat> Yeah. We can accept that. Right? Yeah. And I think also, like, you, you notice, like, all of the recycled, like, you know, um, uh, self-help techniques, you know, the things that are like, well, that didn't work, so maybe we try this, and that didn't work, so maybe we try this. I mean, on, on a positive, they recognize there is a problem with life, not just like, yeah, we all have problems. Like, you know, I have anxiety. I have schizophrenia. Okay, great. Well, that's how God made us. Because in some sense, culture tells it, you know, like wants us, wants it to be that way, right? We're all like unique in our own thing, and so just let us be. But right, the the world of psychology that kind of comes out as evident is like, well, no, we need to fix these problems. I asked Joel if it was the inmates running the asylum, and he said yes. Yeah. That's scary. <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's the world we live in, right? So, but understanding that, right, and we look at that and just say, like, well, how, this, the world's a mess, right? Well, Paul says confidently, like, all things work together for good. All things, right? And we'll, we'll get to, like, the implications of that. And who's a, the, 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 do all of those things work together for good? For, for those who are called according to his purposes, right? Those that understand, those that know, like, can see that in the light that there is a greater plan, a greater purpose by a greater God. Um, I mean, how would you, like, why is that statement alone like a cause for celebration? We know, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we really have nothing to worry about. We really don't. We will, but we don't have any reason to worry. Yeah. I mean, what's that? He hears our prayers and answers them. I mean, we we all think we know better, right? You know, we're we're all brilliant. You know, I mean, we we live like you know, if I if I was in charge, or if I was you know, if I had my way, right? But we also know, like, even in that, you know, as brilliant as we may think we are, right, that's, like, incomparable to what God knows. And we can rest in, which is really, like, ignorance, right? Um, our brilliance is, is pales in comparison to uh, anything, you know, that, that God knows. And so because he knows everything, he searches all hearts, he knows all and everything, all the things you guys said are completely true. We can just, like, rest in what God has for our lives, Right, and so then he, he just kind of gives us a taste, right, of what that looks like. That part of that greater plan in, like, how God is, you know, what He's accomplishing and what He's doing. We get to that in verse twenty-nine. He says, "For those whom He foreknew, right, was that idea? Was that idea mean? If He foreknew, He knows what? What's that? He knew before. He knows things beforehand. He knows what's." going to happen in the future right and so all of these future promises like he knows because he sees he foreknows something obviously that we 
can't do, right? So for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, right? So not that he just knows the future, he can orchestrate the future, right? He can accomplish his purposes and his plans to predestine those things. Predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. And we just got to pause kind of on that for a moment, right? That's like his purposes for us. Like, I want you to be like my son. <laughs> and when we think like how, how short we fall according to that standard and that ability, that is his desire, right? But it will be uh, predestined, right, that we will be like Christ at some point in the future. Not on this earth, <laughs> but in a time in the future. And, I mean, just to think, like, of, of that just being not only, like, the desire and goal, but, like, right, he sacrificed his son for that purpose, for us to be like his son. I mean, for, for a father to say, I want you to be like my son, that's like a very intimate thing that God is having us a part of. And he says, in order, right, so to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, right? And so that's that adoption part, you know, that he talked about before, but it's in a plurality, right, that we, you know, we're not going about this alone. It's not for a select few. It's for all whom he called for those purposes. Verse 30, he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. So you got this idea of like the predestined kind of pre-planned orchestrated aspect, but he also called, which is a response, which is a responsibility on our part. And so we have that kind of like two things that seem like juxtaposed next to each other that, you know, God will accomplish his purposes and will you know, be sure to do it, but also along with our, you know, um, with our responsibility and our responding to that call for us. And it says, those whom he called, he justified, right? So he gave us a means to be made worthy and to have all of our sins forgiven. And then even that, those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that idea is a huge idea. This idea of like, you know, glorified is where we get the, it's the term for our doxology or doxo. Um, and so what is, what is the doxology that, that has been kind of put in a hymn? You know, doxology is a praise to God. And so, Here below, <laughs> praise him above ye heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, is that the, the optional verse? Yeah, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> well, that was good, right? And so, yeah, that is the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it was, yeah, that. 
I love that version. Um, right? So this, uh, this idea, right, of praise to God is from all of creation, whether here on this earth or whether in the, in the angelic realm, right, the heavenly host, is to praise God. Like, he gets that glory, but he says that we've been glorified as well. It's like we're a part of that glorification. Not that we receive glory, right? But we are glorified. We are, again, the heavenly host. All of creation receives God's glory when we are praising him. But this idea that we'll, this will come to fruition at some point. And so, again, you know, like we just think like, like that statement is so comprehensive. Um, it's kind of even, even hard to like think, you know, about how, like, what do we do with that? And so how does Paul respond after this, right? He then asks a series of questions. Um, remember I said that, you know, hey, here are these promises, right, that, that there will be this future, you know, glorification. But with any promise and with any hope, right, what do we say came along with it? Not the disappointment part, but, which, which is unfortunate, sometimes true in a sinful world, but... There is, right now, there is a degree of uncertainty, right? And our faith, how strong our faith is, is our confidence to maybe override that uncertainty. But there is still uncertainty. And so Paul then, like, confronts those questions, right? Because there's always within our heart, right, like this, the serpent in the garden saying, did God really say that? You know, in our minds, we might have that. And in our minds, we function that way, which is why we sin, which is why we choose to follow the flesh and not walk in the Spirit, is sometimes those doubts, right? You've been called. You've been justified. You have been, you know, you will be glorified. All of those things, like, again, and everything that happens is for our good, for those who have been called according to His purpose, you know, all of these things, like we can say these statements and even we repeat these statements when tragedies happen. Just I know like we don't understand these things, but, you know, it's it's, you know, part of God's plan and part of God's goodness. But we respond again with doubts. We respond sometimes with this, you know, this this. Is that really true? Is this something I can bank on? And so that's where kind of Paul then goes in verse 31. He says, well, then. Uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that's kind of the first part, right? Like, if, if, if you're for God and God is for you, right, you're on the winning team. Like, we know, like, it, you know, through, through various parts of Scripture, if you've read to the end of Revelation, like, you know how it all ends, what's going to be accomplished, you know, Paul talking about a resurrected body and what that looks like. We know like what our destinies hold before us, right? So then who can be against us? And so he just again kind of like lays that, that out there, right? But then you might say like, I mean, that just seems almost like too good to be true, right? So then he follows up in verse 32. He says, well, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, what's, what's Paul essentially saying? What else can he, why would he not finish the work that yeah. so much? Yeah, it's like, what proof, do you, what proof do you have, God, that you're going to do these things? And he says, my son is my proof, right? I mean, 
like, what more do you want? Like, I gave the, the greatest gift that I could give to do the things that you could not do. If you need any sort of confidence or you need look to anything, the cross is where you need to look in order to, to say these things. And if he gave us his son, why wouldn't he give you these things that, again, are, are just a part of what God can do? And so if he's willing to do these things, he certainly will follow through in doing that. And then verse 33, he says, well, who shall bring any charge against God's uh, elect, right? It is God who justifies, right? So should we be concerned with what anyone else says? Will we find ourselves like maybe like Job where Satan is, you know, at the throne room of God and is like laying out accusations against uh, God's elect. I mean, it was right when we look at that, God was the one who said, hey, have you considered Job? And then, you know, Satan's like, yeah, you know, I have. Um, and if I take everything away, then he won't continue to, to praise you. And so we saw how that, that looked uh, when we went through those chapters. But, right? So who's going to, I mean, it's, it's God is the one who ultimately makes the decision. If God is the one who's saying it's through my son that you are saved, right, then, then what's the problem, right? We get so confused sometimes in our thinking, sometimes just like when you talk out loud or kind of explain, like, what are you thinking? You're like, yeah, I know it doesn't make sense. But that's what sin does, right? It clouds our judgment in understanding rightly. So when we even start to doubt, these are things that we can kind of look to and think about, right? Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, right? Even if again, you said like, well, you know, what if Satan is telling lies about me and I know I've had these sins and all of that, you know, you just flip it and say, right, Christ died, Christ resurrected. And right now Christ is interceding on our behalf, right? The spirit within us intercedes for our prayers to align us to God. But physically, Jesus is at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf. There's no one who can lay any charge against you. Even if like your scandal of your sin came out in the newspaper, right? It doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, no, he's still mine. She's still mine. He messed up. That's a sin. He's repented of that, but he's still one of mine. And so that's where Jesus is interceding on our behalf, right? Our worth is based on the death and resurrection of Jesus, not on anything that we have done. And so Paul says, you know, we can take stock on that. I mean, it's just like a remarkable thought to think that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Or like, who are we? I mean, who are we for Jesus to do that? Right? But it's part of God's plan that we will be adopted. We are adopted now, but we will experience that adoption as sons and daughters in the future. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's, uh, again, it sh- should be humbling, right? <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's not, it should be. And so, yeah, then, then, you know, Paul, you know, um, let me say, not, you know, what if, right, you know, again, all of these things are true, like, what if Jesus decided that he would stop interceding for us? You know, what, what would, would that happen? And that's where then Paul kind of like, kind of lands this section. And he lands this, this section, this, this chapter, before then he's going to start talking about um, the, his, his Jewish brothers and sisters, right, who have rejected Jesus and how I, he wishes that he could, you know, forsake his salvation for the sake, the sake of um, his Jewish brothers and sisters. And, you know, but it rests on knowing who Christ is and that his, God's purpose is good, even with the rejection of the Jews. That is part of God's purposes. And he will talk about how then that allows for the Gentiles to be grafted in. And so he kind of has this big... You know, kind of beautiful picture. But if you kind of stop and ask the question, well, like, what if, what if Jesus, you know, stopped doing that? Paul, Paul almost says Jesus would not stop doing that. And he, he talks about the love that Christ has for us, right? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, that, that verse again, like so many verses that it's just like worth like just stopping and meditating on who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Because we think, right, you know, we will fail. We have failed. But even with those failings, he will not. Because his love endures. And so Paul then kind of entertains all of these ways, right? What could perhaps come in the way of the love of Christ for his people. As the shepherd, what could cause, uh, as, you know, yeah, as the shepherd, what could cause the shepherd to stop loving his sheep? And so he goes to that idea, like, what are the things that could possibly separate or distance us from the love of Christ? He says kind of a, f- a few things at the beginning. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution Right, those kind of ideas are all the stresses and strains, whether it's outward or inward, or even with the idea of persecution, being chased, being tormented, um, being pursued, right? Will any trial or t- turmoil keep us from the love of Christ? We may feel like that. We may feel overwhelmed, whether it is with external pressures or internal pressures or any of the things that we can experience and just feel like overwhelmed and unworthy. But not, that won't stop a, Christ from loving us. Right? Or, what do you say? Or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Right? All this have to do, like famine is, is what? A lack of food. When we look at um, nakedness, right? A lack of clothing. Or uh, danger, having lack of like shelter or something to keep us safe. Or even the sword, right? Personal protection. We are needing something physical, like all of these things are physical things that we deal with, but even lacking any of those things, we would not lack the love of Christ. 
And so what would be the extreme end of this, right, is obviously death, right? <laughs> Lacking any of those things for too long um, would result in death. And so Paul goes there. He says, verse 36, as it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So whether we're overwhelmed or in some sort of dire need, right, too much or too little, can any of these things keep us from the love of Christ? Paul says, no, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? It doesn't mean that we won't experience any of these things because there's plenty of places that say we will experience some of these things, hopefully not all of these things, and hopefully not all of these things at once. Um, but, right, that's what Paul says. Like, even if we were to experience these things, we are still conquerors because that's just a physical part of our life. Jesus Christ has something greater than that. Verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, right? So again, this kind of comprehensive aspect of our mortal lives, right? We experience life. We also experience death. Neither of those things come into play. Nor angels, nor rulers, right? So if you think of like, who are the most powerful beings in the heavenly realm or on the earthly realm? We've got, you know, angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, right? Anything based on time, the things that we experience, things that we, you know, things now or things yet in the future. Nor powers, which has to deal with might or strength, nor height, nor depth, kind of dimensions of space, nor anything else in all of creation. He just kind of then like sums it up. And anything else I missed, right? <laughs> anything else you can think of that. None of those will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I think all we can say to that, right, is amen. And we go back to this idea, right, of the whole, of the doxology, right, that praise be to God for those things. We may, again, experience those things, experience our failures, experience our frustrations, and even if we choose to walk in the flesh and not walk in the Spirit, which we do at different moments throughout our lives, right, throughout our days, um, Right? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ if we are in Him because we are secured in Him. And that security is a part of God's plan, which was predestined. And we are called for those purposes. We've been justified. Right, God being the justifier can say these things and make up the terms of what that looks like. And how do we know that it's true? Because He sent His Son to die and to be resurrected. All of these things kind of fill out what the gospel message is. And we can just kind of say, all right, bring it on. Bring it on. So, he then, like I said, he goes into chapter 9 to kind of deal with a difficult subject. But I think like going into that difficult subject, right, he's got, got us kind of like in the right thinking, in the right frame of mind. And I think, again, chapter 8 is one of those chapters that if we just kind of read through, it should be like our, our pump-up song, right, you know, before the big game, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling whatever, right, we read these verses and we know God's got this and he's got us in this. So, any final thoughts or questions or comments you guys want to make as we wrap this up?